Hello, my name is Anoa Changa. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to slightly delayed edition of The Way with Manoa. Thank you so much. Nine o'clock, a little bit of a couple of snafus and things like that, but we're going to get right into it. I'm being joined tonight by David Cobb. Um, David Cobb is a man of many affiliations <laughs> and organizations, and we're going to talk about some of these initiatives tonight. Um, one that really has me interested is the Democracy Convention, which is taking place in August, early, I think the first weekend in August in Minnesota. Sounds like a really neat event, a really great opportunity. As many of you know, um, the People Summit is coming up in June, but this is a different type of space um, that I think that could be beneficial for uh, folks who are looking to not just forward the work that, or move, move forward the work that they've been working on and engaging in uh, for those who, who recently got more involved in the political landscape, but also for people who have been existing organizers and activists. Um, you know, it's a it's a series of conventions, smaller conventions built into one larger space to help bring synergy and energy <laughs> around um, really crucial uh, issues and, and concepts in our political landscape right now. And these are conversations that really aren't even happening in other spaces, even other progressive spaces, right? I mean, we see how with, with the grass tops and progressive elites, how certain things are being glossed over. Yay, Bernie's on a unity tour. That's so fabulous, except for it's not. Um, you know, so, so like, I mean, I'm still like, it's been like, what, two, three days now and I'm still upset about getting hit up for a hundred dollars for this damn tour. So, um, but, but there's so much that's going on. Um, and, and David, and I have had several conversations even before he went on board as, as Jill Stein and John Barocker's uh, campaign manager ahead of the 2016 uh, election cycle. So, um, I think we're getting David set up on the screen here, but David, I think we can hear you. Um. If you want to just jump in, how are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm mighty fine. No, first of all, I want to say this. Uh, if we can't roll with little technical difficulties like this, let's just admit we can't win a revolution. I believe we can win a revolution. So little technical difficulties like this, I'm just rolling with it. So no sweat, uh, ain't no thing at all. So I'm happy to be here. I'm also happy that you jump right into the democracy convention. Before we do, I do want to say, I'm making plans to be in Seattle for the Progressive Independent uh, Party's Progressive Summit. And I hope you and your viewers will as well. And I also understand that there are conversations around doing it for those who can't get to Seattle, uh, maybe doing some kind of regional or local versions of it. So let's use the technology uh, to begin to connect. So I do want to lift up the idea that Progressive Independent Party's Progressive Summit is something that I'm interested in uh, and will likely be going to. The Democracy Convention is, as you said, a little bit different space. This is the third one that we've done. So we expect somewhere between 600 to 1,000 uh, social change agents to come. Uh, and it is, as you said, not just a convention, but it is a series of individual conferences that are interconnected to make up one big convention. In other words, a media and democracy conference, a peace 
and democracy conference, a law and democracy conference, a racial justice and democracy conference. So different sectors, uh, different areas are going to be doing conferences that are interconnected. In academia, they call it an interdisciplinary approach because what I know, and I reckon you, and I hope more and more of your viewers are aware of is, we are not actually, we can do great work on issues in different sectors, but if we don't build a real democracy movement, we're really doing a lot of great activity rolling in circles, right? So this is about how do we actually build real democratic power in our workspaces, uh, in our unions, uh, in our in, in economy, uh, in, in our racial relations, in all ways, how do we build power and learn to exercise it collectively? So it's really going to be exciting. Uh, please go to the website www.democracyconvention.org. And I want to make a personal invitation to you, Anoa, and anybody in either the Progressive Army or in the Podcast Revolution or all the different ways that you're doing people's media to get with me and get involved in the media and democracy work or any of the other conferences, because I serve as a fellow on the Liberty Tree Foundation for the Democratic Revolution that has ultimate responsibility for basically creating this space and then helping people to fill it. So here's the personal invitation to you, lady, to get you there. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you so much. And I know we've been having this conversation, you know, quite a bit about the Democracy Convention and about just some of the, some of the work that you've been engaged in. So I really do appreciate the way, you know, you reach out to me and engage me as well. And, and you know, like to reiterate what you were saying, um, I have been working as in a kind of advisory capacity, helping out with the PIP, um, the second uh, 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 a conference as well. You know, they had the first one, which was during the uh, Occupy inauguration uh, extravaganza. <laughs> Great meeting of the minds that happened in D.C. for those who maybe do not remember seeing those live streams. I think Real Progressives actually has the uh, live stream of the different panels and stuff we were all on um, on their YouTube page. But but that is something that's happening later in this later in August. Um, and we are working on trying to figure out how to get regional and using the technology. And I really like that you highlighted that, right, that that we do need to we you know, technology has, it's, it's a curse, but it's also a blessing. And it does enable us to be able to communicate, engage, and disseminate ideas across, you know, huge spans of, of, of distance, you know, across continents, et cetera. And, and, and I really like the way that we're beginning to use it, like you just said, you know, looking at media and democracy, because we saw this explosion of um, progressive media, of, of people sharing their voices, their viewpoints, and their, their understanding of the world. And it has helped awaken so many over the past two years or so. And we continue to see that as a growing process. Um, I also really like what you were saying about the democracy convention. So, so like... Um, let's just step back. Like, so if people want to get involved, like, they can go to the website. But, but just kind of like with the past two that you guys have done, how have those how have those unfolded? Who participated? Well, let me back up for a second though. How did this idea come about? <laughs> right on. <laughs> you know, many years ago, when when this was first conceived, how did this idea come? Because it's it's actually kind of fascinating, you know, having these different what seems like separate ideas coming together as one larger, you know, effort. Right. No, it's a, it's a great question, and I appreciate that the, like, like you, you asked, let's put it into context, right? Because everything comes from something, right? And the more context we have, the better. I'm going to be honest. The idea of the democracy convention was not mine, right? 
Uh, it was one of my colleagues and comrades, Ben Mansky, who is the founder of the Liberty Tree Foundation for the Democratic Revolution. And he had this, uh, he had this idea. And the, the first time I heard it, like several years ago, I was like, man, that's very complicated. It's very complex. I mean, I don't know, man. Do you think we can pull it off? And he said, David, you know, look, yes, we can pull it off because we've been doing it. And the reality is I met Ben Mansky in the, in the early and mid-1990s uh, doing global justice work. Uh, he and I were tear gassed together in Seattle during the WTO protest, the World Trade Organization protest in November of 1999. Uh, he managed Ralph Nader's presidential campaign in the state of Wisconsin in 2000. I managed Ralph Nader's presidential campaign in the state of Texas in 2000. He and I have been rolling deep for many decades. Uh, and the first one was uh, in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, and what was really interesting is uh, we had Tom Hayden there. We had uh, Jill Stein there. We had Sherry Honkala there. We had Gar Alperovitz there. We had Jerome Scott, uh, who you know, who is a towering figure in left politics uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, who I know you're getting to know a little bit better. So we've had uh, some really important, powerful people. At the second one, uh, we had um, Glenn Rutherford of the, uh, or Glenn Ford, he goes by, of the Black Agenda Report. Uh, we had Matt Nelson of Presente.org. So we've had real thought and movement leaders that are coming together and figuring out not only, so, so the context comes out of the global justice movement of the 1990s, uh, Green Party organizing in the 2000s, but also issue and movement work uh, that many of us have been doing across sectors uh, for frankly uh, decades. And one of the things that I believe is happening is a quickening. And I'm just gonna name it, Anoa, and living in a historic moment, late stage capitalism. Capitalism as we come to know it is coming to an end. But don't celebrate and applaud that statement just yet because capitalism is coming to an end because fascism is beginning, right? And we have to have a real clear understanding that capitalism is ending because the old way of uh, distributing goods and services and arranging our economics are no longer working. Uh, and it's not that they just don't work you know, for everybody because they never work for everybody. They're not working for anybody, even the ruling elite now. So it's turning on itself. The, the internal contradictions of capitalism are coming faster and more. And so all this to say, Anoa, these folk who are actually organizing the democracy convention are self-described serious revolutionaries. Now, we're nonviolent revolutionaries. We're not calling for armed struggle against the state, uh, but we are revolutionaries because we are and have been for 20 years been calling for the restructuring of society. And I'm going to take a moment to really push hard on this topic because this word revolutionary is getting tossed around a lot these days. And thank you, Bernie Sanders, for helping to make that word come into parlance. But let's be clear, just going and voting every two to four years does not make you a revolutionary. A revolutionary is somebody committed to restructuring society. And that's why when I talk about a revolution, I'm talking about restructuring the social, political, and economic institutions in which we're living in. I'm not playing a Noah, although I am playful, but I'm dead serious about actually winning this revolution.
Yeah, I like I like the way you said that. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, thanks Bernie for 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 building out and making revolution popular. But <laughs> let's let, let let's bring it back in perspective and talk about what we really mean. Because I mean, I think that you know, from my conversation with Jerome, just talking to my own parents and their background with with, with political um, engagement and revolutionary Black liberation thought types type work, like everyone that older guard seems to be in agreement. Like, oh, this is cute. They're talking about revolution. Let me talk to you about what we really mean to get down to the nitty gritty. But that's so crucial because so many people do think that, you know, we just had down here in Georgia, we just had the Georgia 6 race, and there was a really large turnout for a special election, right? The levels of the special election were close to that of the 2014 midterm election. And people are like really excited about that. And that's great. But what, but, but, you know, that's, that's cool and everything. But what is being done to actually engage people and get them actually involved, not just in that race, but whatever other races are coming down the pipeline and beyond just voting? Right, actually engaging in the system of governance that exists across right. their daily lives. Right. I'm glad you brought up uh, that, that race because let's be clear about that. <laughs> like in Kansas, you had a genuine progressive running, and the Democratic National Committee did not spend a dime, did not help at all a genuine progressive. You know as well as I do that that Democrat in, in Atlanta, uh, in that in Georgia is not a genuine progressive. That is a more or less go along to get along corporate type Democrat. It is not the same thing. And I think it's worth pointing out that the Democratic Party is able to muster and really push out and lift up a corporate go along to get along Democrat, but continues to throw real progressives under the bus and not spend a dime helping them. So like before we even get into the deeper question that you asking for, let's just acknowledge that even just voting the Democratic Party leadership continues to demonstrate that they are part of the problem, uh, that they are not actually building up genuine progressives. Now I want to go where you went, which is voting is not enough. Way into a revolution. Voting is a tactic, an important tactic. It is a front of struggle. But if you want real revolution, you better be involved in engaging and thinking about how do we create cooperative economic models? How do we actually empower people where they live, work, and play so that they actually have the experience of actually participating in making and helping to implement a decision that then they can hold other people accountable and get this, let other people hold them accountable. Think about that, right? It's like, a genuine collective process where we actually engage at that level. So for me, I'm interested in things like food, not bonds. I'm interested in things like uh, genuine credit unions. I'm interested in community supported agriculture programs. And I'm interested in deep political education on white supremacy, imperialism, patriarchy, and capitalism. How do all of these things intersect and interconnect to make up a system in which the ruling elite are able to rule over us and somehow claim to be a democracy. Because again, we just got to get real, Anoa. We do not live in a functioning democracy and we never have. Like, like so many people like got woke as if it's like, oh, our democracy was stolen from us. Well, I'm glad you woke, but let me tell you something. You're not all the way there if you think that our democracy was just stolen from us. We actually never had one and we could, we can, 
And certainly great strides have been making in the past. But at the end of the day, if we're going to talk about self-determination, if we're going to talk about autonomy, if we're going to talk about real democracy, we have to understand that this country was founded by a small group of ruling elite who have always maintained control by dividing us around race, around gender, around class, sexual orientation. And at the end of the day, if we're not committed to a genuine intersectional politics that actually understands we are going to critique capitalism without class reductionism, and we are going to critique white supremacy without succumbing to identity politics. See, at the end of the day, that's really the key. It's got to be a holistic approach to how power operates to divide us and what it's going to take for us to come together to actually win. I know I said a mouthful, but you asked a provocative question. But I want to I go back to one thing you said to parse it out, because this is a really interesting point you just made about intersectional politics versus, you know, giving into identity politics, right? That's a very fine distinction, but it's definitely one that needs a moment of explanation because we've seen a lot about, and actually, you know, calling things identity politics has actually been used almost dismissively, even by so-called progressives, to not have conversations about things involving gender, sexual orientation, race, et cetera. Um, but I think, you know, that, 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 that difference, like we've seen uh, the Democratic Party in particular weaponize uh, uh, identity in a particular way, use different groups against each other to leverage, you know, who's basically the, the, the model Democrat favorite, you know, base to cater to, to get out the vote the most. But there is a need actually to have, like you're saying, an intersectional approach to our political um, ideology. And, and that, that nuance, that distinction is really crucial. I'm, I'm glad you pulled us back into that conversation because as you know, I am quick uh, to talk about gender, to talk about race, uh, to talk about sexual orientation. So I am not dismissive. And if, if, it, if, if I went too fast and for any of your viewers, it sounded like I was, let me slow down and let me be very clear. White supremacy is real. White skin privilege is real. And it needs to be dismantled and deconstructed. No doubt about that. Just as patriarchy is real, uh, misogyny is real, and it needs to be deconstructed. Uh, you know, so so there's no doubt in my mind that that is a component of intersectional politics. But if you do that type of of of, of white supremacy analysis without doing a class analysis, then you can become merely identity politics. So again, it's a subtle distinction. I'm not saying to dismiss identity at all. Because one's identity is how one sees the world, right? It's a very important thing. But if we only look at race, if we only look at gender and we don't look at class, then it can cloud us, right? And it can really confuse us very deeply because the ruling elite are using uh, those divisions to pit ourselves against one another. And what's really galling is when Hillary Clinton gets to weaponize race, Hillary Clinton, the one who talked about blacks as super predators, the one who talked and threw Sister Soldier under the bus and then ran the bus over back and forth over her. Hillary Clinton, who basically her and her husband are responsible for the prison industrial complex privatizing. She gets to weaponize race. Come on now. We got to wake up about that. We cannot allow that to happen. And. 
at the end of the day, white folks, I'm going to talk to y'all, like, you know, in, in case you haven't noticed, I'm white too, right? We have been very confused by race because the ruling elite have confused us uh, into thinking that because they give us certain privileges, and they do, that somehow that they elevate us uh, into thinking that we are identifying with the ruling elites who also share our pigments. Because here's the interesting thing, Anoa, skin color ain't nothing but pigment, right? It doesn't actually exist in the scientific sense. But in the real world social construct sense, it may be the most important thing that actually happens in society. Ain't that a pisser, right? Something that is not actually real in the scientific sense becomes socially the single most important thing. So we cannot actually just say, no, we're only going to look at class and socioeconomics uh, because if we do that, we actually miss the lived experience of every human being in, in the United States today. And if we say we're just going to look at race because it's so central and so important and we not look at class, then we actually miss the meta context for how the ruling elite are organizing society and playing a numbers game on us. So again, I hate to, I, I hate to make it sound so simple, but it really is. Intersectional politics is the recognition that race and gender and class and sexual orientation are interrelated things, they intersect, and to really understand it, we have to step back and understand how they interrelate. Because you can't just take race out of that equation and just look at race alone and think that you're actually looking at reality. You can't peel class out of it and say, oh, now I actually understand class. It is an interconnected, jumbled up mess that the ruling elite used to confuse us. Yeah, like, so that last part right there about how you cannot peel out and separate out different parts because some people act like you can just leave, you know, take everything off and all we can do is just, if, as long as we have class on the table, we're fine. Or as long as we have race on the table, we're fine. We, 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 we can't, because of the intricate nature and way in which, you know, our society, the foundation of what we now call the United States of America was founded on, you know, um, the, the structure that was ingrained in, you know, presumably straight white men with a certain degree of wealth and power and access, that automatically just, just, just eliminates everyone else. And then when you have the system of chattel slavery and basically the racialization of property ownership and wealth built into our, our, our constitution foundation, I mean, you know, it's so inherent and so deep. So we throw out terms like systemic racism, systemic oppression, systemic this, but really pay lip service, but aren't really willing to do that deep work and understanding to begin looking at how do we dismantle, you know, these systemic systems and issues, but then also how do we not repeat those same mistakes, even with the best of progressive intentions or revolutionary or whatever? Like, yeah. so, so that was a really interesting point. I like, I like, I like the well, way. Thank you, you so much. And, and by the way, viewers, uh, number one, uh, if you are enjoying this conversation, this is the kind of conversation you'll get at the democracy convention. So I hope you'll come August two through six, Minneapolis, www.democracyconvention.org. And I'm sure David, your producer, will put that somewhere in the mix here to make sure that's there. So this kind of conversation is going to be very much part of it. The second thing, Anoah, I really want to dive in on, see, in the very, very founding of this, of what became the United States of America, whiteness did not even exist. 
people identified themselves as English or Dutch or uh, Scandinavian. See, ethnicity and cultures existed. And surely they were enslaving Africans very early, right? But they did not think of themselves as white. Whiteness was created as a result of people with my pigment who were indentured servants, made themselves second-class citizens who came directly out of the debtors' prisons, enslaved by other Europeans uh, and brought to this country, working with people who had your pigment, who looked like you, who were enslaved, figuring out, hey, we actually have way more in common. Like the boss, like this boss man has got our boot on both our necks. Let's let's come together, rise up against them or really him, because they were like the ruling elite were mostly men, right? Uh, and so the ruling elite who did have this pigment said, oh, like they, they suppressed it, right? Almost lost. Uh, we almost won. That's another thing about Bacon's Rebellion that, that there's a reason they don't teach us about Bacon's Rebellion, right? 1600s, uh, we almost won. But then the ruling elite said, oh, we can't let that happen again. So there's more of us, there's more of them than there are of us. So what are we gonna do? I know, let's let's make Europeans and people with our pigment, and literally they use the phrase, we will give them legal privileges. So white privilege actually has its roots as the language of the 1600s in this country. We will give white uh, people with European uh, stock and skin color certain privileges. They'll be able to do certain things. Now, we're not gonna let, people like me rise all the way up to the same level of the ruling elite, but they will definitely put me above people who look like you and they will push enslaved Africans and degrade them even further. And here's the thing. One of the benefits of white skin privilege is legal privileges that they gave. The other thing is psychological because, well, at least I'm not black. So it, it gives you this, I get to be better than somebody else. And the stratification, the racialization was not a happenstance. It was a cold calculated analysis on the people with power to prevent genuine solidarity uh, from rising again because there are so many of us. So I think this is a very important point that we've got to really understand. The third point I wanna make, and I wanna lift up my dear friend and comrade, Melissa uh, Figueroa, who has, and I don't, she said she didn't make it up, but she's the first one I heard talk about it. She said, we got to stop playing oppression Olympics, which is like, you know, I see you shaking your head already. I know, right? It's like this idea that race trumps gender, but gender trumps class or class, but uh, the gender club sexual orientation, but class trumps it all. It's like, no, no, you're playing, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. As soon as you start to think about this, you are confusing how it works. I mean, at the end of the day, a boot on your neck is a boot on your damn neck. And it, and it sucks no matter why it is put there, right? So for me, one of the things that I am absolutely committed to, I am against exploitation and oppression, period, full stop. I don't care whether it's based on race or gender or class or sexual orientation or something else I'm not even aware of, right? And believe me, there's plenty of shit that I'm not aware of. And I recognize that there's sometimes that I will unintentionally do stupid things, you know, thoughtlessly and so forth. And I guess that's the other thing, Noah. We've got to get out of this kind of call out culture, right? Where we're like, like 
part of the way you win the oppression Olympics is to be watching for somebody else to make a mistake so you can pounce on them and call them out on it. So because therefore somehow you look better by doing that. Uh, and like my deal is this. If I make a mistake, please know I didn't do it on purpose. Please know that, you know, if I make a mistake, it was a mistake. And so you could correct me. And I, especially as somebody with the privilege of white skin and maleness and being mostly straight, I have a lot of privileges in this society. So I have to have humility when somebody points out my mistake to immediately say, okay, I'm not taking this personally, but if I made a mistake, here's a learning opportunity. How did I make that mistake? What is happening that I don't see? So there is a responsibility on my part. It's not a, like the, like, in other words, we need to start calling people in to the, the values that we purport to express. Uh, and yes, we have to be courageous to be able to have those kind of conversations, but like constantly berating other people for making mistakes is no way to build a movement and it ain't no way to run a railroad. Absolutely. <laughs> Sorry. Absolutely. No, 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 absolutely. Um, there's so much there to unpack, right? Like, 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 and I have heard the phrasing oppression Olympics and my thing has always been like, I don't trade atrocities, right? Like, so I don't get into whose people suffered more. Like, you know, experience is valid. It's, it, 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 it's something to listen to and understand how it shapes our perspectives, where we've been, where we're going and how we approach the work. And I do think that there is a need for folks to step kind of outside themselves to an extent. But then one thing, you know, shout out to Patrick Hopkins, who's done some editing for me and pieces and is just a really good friend all around the soundboard. He said to me once that, you know, for a long time, you know, I would post stuff about and I, I try with very I have my petty moments. So I will I will I, I do fall into the call out, but it, it's something really, really extreme that an example needs to be shown. You know, for the most part, I'm able to step outside myself and say, like, deeper, I'm like, OK. I'm going to talk to you right now <laughs> instead of destroying your life. <laughs> but but one thing that Patrick said to me, he was like, you know, when I would see like you post some things or, you know, he referred to a couple other people. He said, I realized that I'd be reading or listening to you to respond. And I need to kind of step back for a moment and realize it's something for me to learn as a white man that I could listen or read to understand. Right. And, and then and then we built that rapport where I know I can ask you questions. But I'm just like, even if you, he was like, but that, but so, so, so I had a tears, I'm sharing this story because, because I thought it was really interesting realization. And I'm like, this is interesting for me, myself to use in my own situations, right? Because, you know, being a black woman, you know, it doesn't politically conscious, you know, politically active parents, that doesn't mean that I, I have it all right. That I'm not perfect. You know, it's not that I don't mess up and have issues too. And that point about listening to understand, you know, perspectives and where people are coming from before responding, before engaging. I thought that was really, while it, it's like, I was like, wow, that's so simple. But at the same time, it was so crucial, right? And, and, and I think it's really helpful. And he was saying, I was able to understand so much more once I made that conscientious effort to do so than previously when I was just like, okay, what do I respond to? Because especially with social media, I really think in so many ways, social media and the technology has been great. But I think one of the ways that social media has been a problem is that I think it, it, it stunts our ability to have really well-informed, engaging conversations that are also empathetic and understanding of that, that we're talking to other people, right? We're not just putting stuff out there. 
Right. We're not just putting stuff out there in, in the cyberspace. We're actually conversing with another human being most of the time. <laughs> um, you know, we're actually conversing with someone else. So, so, and, and when he was saying, you know, pausing just to reflect on what's being said, and I was like, oh, so, I mean, there may still be the times where it's necessary to get rough and rowdy with it, but I do find that, that, that for the most part, having conversations in that way has been so much better. And I, and I liked, you know, the way you were just discussing, you know, framing all this because we, we do need to have these longer, more deep in-depth conversations. We do need to flush things out. It's not like, okay, we've been fighting these battles for so long, this, that, and the other. We have it all figured out. We just need to go do this because Bernie said blah, 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 or Jill said blah, 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 or, or, or Ralph Nader, I heard Ralph Nader speak or whatever. Like this stuff still needs to be worked through even in our, our groups that we're forming or we're going into already established groups. I mean, we still have to build these relationships to get this work done. So so I really did. Go ahead. One of the things that, uh, you know, you, so you lifted up a couple of people and I want to do the same thing. George Friday, who's a black woman out of North Carolina, who's mm -hmm. a very good friend I've been knowing for a long time. Mm -hmm. And she said it like this, and it always helped me a lot. She said, think of it this way. If somebody is offering you a constructive critique, uh, it's like them saying, yo, you're wearing stripes and polka dots and solid colors. And that pink is not going well with that lime green. This whole thing that you're wearing right now is actually making you look foolish. You actually, you know, here's the thing. That's actually helpful, right? It's like your friend is the one saying, don't go out dressed like that. Like you may think you're looking fly, but you're not. You know, you're going to get laughed at or you're going to make a fool out of yourself or like they're actually offering this in a helpful way. And this is the point. A constructive critique offered to actually help you you, and I don't care who you are, if it's offered in that way, if you can train yourself to hear it that way, to sort of say, okay, what can I learn here is something. And here's the other thing, Anoa. Even a dog knows the difference between a nudge, a kick, and a trip. Right? So, like, if somebody is, is coming at me in order to just undermine me and, and like, has, pounce on me because I made a mistake and they're and it feels like they're actually getting some glee out of correcting me. Here's the thing. Even if they're right, it's real hard for me to actually hear it. If I feel underneath it, like they're just trying to, to hit me, you know, and to knock me down, even if they're right, but they might still be right. So it really, it's up to me, right? If I am really going to be the person that I want to be, I need to look for the constructive critique where it comes from, not personalize it and actually see if I can get better. I'm just saying this, if somebody comes at me with compassion and kindness, that constructive critique is more effective on me. I know that from myself. And I also know with other people, if I step into a space with them to offer them loving, kind, and really hard constructive critique, it has been more successful. I have almost never successfully educated somebody by yelling at them. Just not happen, right? Like, so I just, you know, Jerome, who I know you're starting to roll with a little bit, and I'm so happy to have helped that introduction, a dear friend and a mentor and a comrade uh, often says this, David, we have to build a revolution with the people that capitalism has bequeathed us. So yeah. all the people that we are dealing with, with all their damage and all their challenges and all their confusion, that's who we got to build with. 
So we just got to be both patient and urgent at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, shout out to Jerome Scott, uh, like, like they mentioned, Jerome is David's mentor and he has introduced us and we've gotten a chance. So this is, this is what I think, you know, we will name different people. There are a lot of people out here that have been doing this work for a very, very, very long time. <laughs> They've been multiple iterations of organizations and stuff. And it's so cool sitting down talking with Jerome because he reminds me of my dad because my stepdad is someone and you know you'll know the organizations and stuff they've worked for you may or may not know their name because they are really wedded to the work right they're they're really about the work and mentoring and lifting up other voices and just really seeing this transformative change i mean like you know th there are a lot of people out here who say they're about the work but but there are some folks who like the the spotlight and things like that and then there are people like jerome who, who, who do not mind if you're worthy. It's, it's almost like sitting down in an old Kung Fu movie, going to visit the master and learning to the universe. Like I, I got to meet Jerome. I think we, we're supposed to, we're scheduled to have another meeting um, coming up in the next week. But we, we sat down last month. We had this great long, like hour and a half long conversation and stuff. And it's really like, I'm sitting there taking notes. <laughs> like, like I really feel like a school kid. Like I'm really sitting there at the feet of the master learning the tools and, 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 and how to go about and engage and really begin to start taking this work to a new level. Because that's what we all have to do, right? Like, like especially for those of us who, who have come into this newer to an extent, right? And, and came into this in a sense of I'm volunteering for a campaign or phone banking. When we're talking about, you know, revolutionary politics, you know, revolution. We're talking about, you know, transforming the way business of, of democracy is done. And that takes so much more than like we've already talked about, you know, working with candidates, which is important. It is important. Okay. It is crucial work, but there's so much more to it. And so beginning to learn about what, what the, what else, and also right. talking through people who have been there, how to communicate that. Because like you said, I think what you said was really, was really crucial about how we, we have the people that, that the capitalism has, has, you know, bequeathed us, you know, there are so many people out here. We have approximately half the country that did not vote in this most recent presidential oh. election who were dis completely disengaged. And I'm not going to be, I'm not a person to sit there and blame people for not voting. Do I think people should vote? Sure. Am I going to tell you how to vote? No. Do I make my nice suggestions about what you should do? Of course. But I really do think that we need to start having real conversations about why are people disengaged from the process and not just sitting here, well, you ought to have or you should have, or even those people who voted only for down ballot candidates and didn't vote for the presidential ticket at all, right? Like that's telling. That is really telling. And that shows that there's so much work that needs to be done year round and not just when it's time right. to come knock on the door and get the no, vote. Let me, let me, one of the things I say is think of it this way. If people were voting on whether they would get to eat or not, you know, and they knew that like how that how, how that vote ended would, would be whether they and their children would get to eat. Do you think the voting rate would go up if people were getting to vote on whether or not this country went into war or not uh, and whether their children, uh, their sons and some daughters, but mostly sons, would be sent to war? Do you think that there would be an increase in the voting participation? If people were voting on whether they could get health care as a fundamental human right, would their voting rate go up? Because here's the point that I think that a lot of people have disengaged or never even bothered voting because they were like, that don't matter. Like, you know, like it's not actual real. And here's the thing. People like me and you and, and I imagine almost all the viewers of The Way with the NOAA are like, I want systemic change. And such people 
tend to either say the thing that matters around systemic change, because that's where the rules are made, that's where the laws are made, that's where policy is. So voting is the, the thing that you have to do. This movement stuff is just kind of a distraction. And then other people will say, I want systemic change. Social movements are the only thing that have ever made change. You got to do deep social movement work. That's where it's actually at. These elections are, strat- are, are a, a waste of time. You know, if voting could change anything, they'd make it illegal. Movements are where it's at. Here's the thing, Anoa. They're both right, which means they're both wrong, right? Like at the end of the day, we have got to learn how to do deep movement work and authentic electoral politics at the same damn time. And when it's, it's sort of like intersectionality, right? Once you kind of get it, you get it. And this whole notion of doing deep movement work on issues, on transforming how we relate to one another and elections, that's actually when you start to recognize that elections are a front of struggle, but not the only one. It is a tactic, a profoundly important tactic. Yeah, I was, you just caught me. I was trying to catch that quote because that was just so good. When you just said, we have to work on doing deep movement work on issues and transforming how we relate to each other. I mean, it's a both and. It is not an either or. And we tend to act like it's either or. Well, the system's messed up and this, that, and the other. This is so funny. I'm actually probably going to send you this. My daughter's working on a survey for her American government class, and she wants to do it about voting behavior because, you know, the kids, the the, 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 the 10th graders are all fired up. Um, Because they've been involved in all this stuff, you know, with um, with everything that's been going on. So she, but her thing is she wants to do something around voting behavior, whatever. And I was like, oh, okay. But that's the one thing we talked about. We were talking about some of her questions. And it was like, you know, ask people like, well, what about the system? She's like, well, I know some things I see people tweet you. Or she follows me on Twitter. Or I see people post on Facebook. You know, the system's messed up. Or so, but I think what you just said is so right. Because we need both. Because it's not enough to, to, to find, like if you're someone who's really invested in electoral politics, it's not enough to find just a candidate who can get out there and, and, and be progressive, you know, and run for an election. They, there's a whole apparatus that needs to be behind them to make sure they're able to have that support, that they can have, you know, uh, uh, that accountability built in, you know, that they, they, they like, well, that's my team over there. You know, so what? None of the people like me or care what I'm doing. I have a team. You know, I talked with Kashama Sawant last fall. Well, that was one of the things we talked about. She was talking about how, you know, how difficult it is being, you know, she's a member of the Socialist Alternative Party. She's the only non-Democrat in her space. You know, we're talking about the city council. And she's like, I'm up here fighting with Democrats, the supposedly good guys, right? Not Republicans. There's no Republicans in elected office here. And, and, you know, I'm fighting with Democrats. And I'm able to do that because I have my team, right? Right. We we are, it's a built-in support network. It's built-in accountability. But also that fusion of electoral politics as well as that deep movement work, like like it's absolutely crucial, necessary to everything that we're doing to go going forward. And one of the things, again, because I love I love talking about my, my dad and my stepdad because they're they're awesome people. But my dad and I sat down and talked a lot about Bernie, you know, throughout the primary. And that was one of my dad's biggest critiques about Bernie is that he did not understand and continues not to understand how to do the that right. Like he gets the electoral side. I don't really know that he gets the movement side, but he definitely does not see how to marry the two, right? In a way that's productive and forward moving. 
I think that's exactly right. I, I, I hope I get a chance to meet both your daddy and your stepdaddy because they're <laughs> like very, very smart people who I would learn a lot from. And one of the things that's interesting is, and, and, and this is something that uh, other people have helped me kind of think about, and that is, you know, it's not that Bernie Sanders almost won the Democratic Party primary and actually might have. It might have literally been stolen from him. Um, but it's actually that a mass movement of self-organized people almost beat and crushed uh, the leadership of the Democratic Party. And I mean this very sincerely because what I've realized, the deeper I've gone with a lot of these and mostly millennials and, and people younger than myself who really put Bernie over the edge, aren't even fooling with the, the Sanders campaign apparatus. They literally self-organized. And I know what, I don't think that people realize that like, these folk were literally creating and running phone banks on their own, no direction at all from the campaign. They were running voter ID lists and walking precincts on their own. They built apps, literally phone apps on their own, no connection to the campaign apparatus. So people get all hot and bothered about $28 a pop. That's good. But damn. Like inspired people self-organized to run phone banks, walk precincts, build apps to talk to each other. That's that's the shit right there. That is so, and pardon my language, but that is just so much beyond the fact that Bernie Sanders was able to inspire $28 a pop and, and raise hundreds of millions of dollars. That's great and that's important and that's good, but we miss something if we only recognize Bernie inspired people, Bernie, people gave Bernie money, people went and pulled the lever for Bernie. I'm actually more interested in those hundreds of thousands of self-organized people. Are they still in it? Because those it's are the very people. Yes, having talked with and connected with tons of people over this process. Um, like I said, I come from a politically engaged background, black nationalist parents and stuff. Not really my own self and my own personal life, but then I got kind of involved down and I'm now I'm so deep down, you know, the hole and out of the matrix. My parents laugh at me all the time. They giggle. They're like, <laughs> now you see how we, why we were the way we were. The one thing I always thought, right, especially like I said, from my background and talking with my parents and deciding that, hey, this was an opportunity for me to get involved. We had just moved to Georgia when the campaign was starting. We hadn't been here too long. So I was like, hey, this is an opportunity for me to get involved with something. This is something that's starting brand new because it can be difficult sometimes going into things that are already established, you know? So I was like, okay, great. But one of the things that I always thought from listening to old video and listening, talking with my dad, talking with my stepdad, you know, listening to things. Um, you know, that this is an opportunity to leverage, you know, to get people active and engaged and involved and, and watching the growing excitement, enthusiasm, like you were saying, you know, people, everyday people willing to stand up and get involved and do this. And this is an opportunity to leverage increased community engagement, activism and awareness in a way that we have not seen in, in quite some time, right? We see spikes, we might see things around particular issues or incidences, but we don't necessarily see the sustained action that we really need to turn the needle, to change the tide in our communities, state level, county, whatever, whatever, you know, metric we're looking at. And, and, and that was what inspired me. And but 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 like you just said, it was getting to know people and hearing the stories about who was doing what, where, um, you know, who was, you know, people in their different skill sets, people who learned completely new skill sets in this process because they had to. Because like you said, 
we we built we my girls and I always say we built this. <laughs> you know, yeah. shout out to the campaign had some really great people. I've gotten you know quite a few ex staffers and stuff, wonderful people. And Bernie, you know, Bernie's a, a good person, but at the same time, it, it most definitely needs to be reiterated because I need people to be self empowered, right? Because I'm all about self determination, and I really need people to see what was built and how beautiful it was and how that can be transferred then to looking at, you know, at the local level. Cause I like, like my latest thing is like looking at what is a revolution, like bringing it to scale, right? We talk about political revolution, all these really big ideas and concepts, but what does that look like in terms of organizing, engaging and bringing people together at that local level? And you and I have talked more about like doing movement revolutionary schools and things like that. And I think all of that, um, um, even looking at kind of what Podemos has done over in Spain, like looking at how do we bring that down to to the more micro level, community level, municipal level, like that is what I really think. And we need to, to take a step back and take a moment and like, yes, because even coming out of the DNC, right? Because when you look at what happened at the Democratic National Convention and how basically that whole apparatus, instead of the smart thing to do, if they were really about winning this election, would have been to embrace the burning delegates that made up 40 whatever percent, right? would have been to brace them instead of basically making it the most unbearable. I've talked to so many different delegates. I have quite a few friends who are delegates from all over the country, but they made it so unbearable. I mean, it just, it just was such a, a even during that process, progressives were shunned, the left was shunned, and, and Republicans were recruited. All types of stuff happened, right? And and you look now, we have the resistance and all this other stuff that's going on That that because 45 is so evil and he's the bane of all our existence. But, but there are some people out there who are trying to figure out right? Like, where do we go and what do we do? And it is easy to get behind candidates, but I am, I'm really encouraged by the groups of people I see who are actually digging in and trying to start working on, okay, these are the local issues where we are in our community. Even if I didn't, I tried to run, I didn't win, but still I'm going to stay organized with my apparatus and continue on. And that was something that was said to me, I think it might've been actually Jerome when I talked to him, he said, you know, all these people who are like really good people and they run for elections and they don't win, right? It's like, if you would actually stay engaged, you, you, you could create something that's even better than if you were serving, you know, right. in, in, in that mess of system. And I'm like, there's, there's so many layers and it's so deep. And so I really appreciate that you, that you know, that you recognize that because it is very easy you know, for us to, to lift up Bernie, because of course that's the way society works, you know, name recognition, all that other stuff. But but I really stress a lot for people, the power of, of, of the power of people, like that was people power. That was a people driven movement. It continues to be a, be a people driven process. And when you look at these two elections we just had in Kansas and now here in Georgia, really the common denominator were people who were who are volunteers, grassroots, who were able to turn out and do what they did. Of course, you know, uh, uh, the, the effort in Kansas was extremely impressive, considering there was no institutional help from the Democratic Party at because, all. That's the, that's the thing. Like, like I, we really have to lift that up, but because that was literally a grassroots effort, they were outspent. Uh, they were far outspent, and they came what within six point percentage points, uh, where it had been a what almost thirty percent blowout uh, just two elections before. So that turnaround was profound. Uh, you know, in Georgia, uh, they actually what you had was a, a little different thing. I do want to underscore one of the things that that you talked about uh, these movement school for revolutionaries. We just did one in Eureka, California. Get this, Anoa, progressive Democrats and Greens and the North Coast People's Alliance, which is a transpartisan organization, all coming together. Uh, 
to uh, to figure out a, what is the revolutionary process. And get this, I know we started a full 90 minutes. We're going to go deep on the context of white supremacy, imperialism, capitalism, and patriarchy. We're not going to blow past it. We're going to actually spend some time making sure that we're centered on the meta context. The second thing that we did was, what is this particular historic moment for late stage capitalism? And what is actually happening with robotics and automation? What is happening with the global climate crisis? What is happening with neoliberalism? Where did it actually come from? So big meta context, this historic moment, historic factors. And then we looked at the revolutionary process how do structures and systems actually change? All that to set the stage for the last two hours, how are we going to actually work together locally? And get this, you had Greens talking to Democrats, talking to, to decline the state or no party preference or so-called independence, right? All figuring out, all right, what elections are going on, but also what organizations and networks already exist. You know, Central del Pueblo and immigrant rights groups that are organizing to protect themselves. How can we relate and support their issue related work without turning it into just another uh, election source? So that kind of conversation about how are we going to take and exercise local power? Right. It's, it's a serious conversation. And I am eager to do that in Atlanta. I can tell you I, I was looking at my calendar. I know through August, I'm actually engaged almost every single weekend. There's an appetite for this that I've almost never seen before. And I know we're coming up uh, towards the end. So I do want to make sure to invite you, the viewer, about this. Hit up in the comments section. Anoa and or her producer will get to me. I would love to engage with you wherever you are. And if not me, one of my colleagues to do a movement school for revolutionaries that actually takes a theoretical construct for how revolution is done and then develop plans so that we can actually implement them. Because I'm going to end by this. I am in it to win it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that one of the problems on the left, Anoa, is so many people have gotten self-satisfied with their critique and sharpening their critique that they have forgotten that we are supposed to be developing that critique so that we can construct a new world. And I want to actually be part of a process to, to engage, to learn, to change either my theory or my practice, because I want to actually be part of a winning revolution. And, and I'm, I am really serious about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I thank you so much. I mean, definitely everyone go check out Democracy Convention. It's www.democracyconvention.com. There's also a Facebook page, Democracy Convention. Um, and then also check out, because they, you gave me another uh, page for everyone to check out. Yeah, so I, I want to make sure we get, we get up for everybody as well before we go. So that's watchgnn.tv, uh, and that okay. is where me and Ajamu Baraka and Jill Stein are creating what we are calling the Green News Network. Okay. Uh, and I would love, you know, I know I want to have you on, on my show uh, one time. You awesome. know, you know uh, and, and I'm serious. So it's on Mondays at 5 p.m. Uh, okay. uh, 5 p.m. Pacific, so 8 p.m. That uh, works. 
right? So let me, I'm gonna hit you up and let's do okay. this. Sounds we're, great. We're beginning to develop this, right? And okay. one of the things that I think is interesting is let's actually start cross-pollinating in a very intentional way. Yeah. You have a growing audience. I have a growing audience. Let's introduce our audiences to each other. That sounds great. That sounds great. Well, I, as always, it is always a great time talking with you again. Thank you so much for, for rolling with the, 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 the snafus earlier. Um, and so everyone definitely check out, you know, Dem- Democracy Convention. Also, make sure if you haven't already liked Progressive Independent Party, PIP, um, check them out on Twitter and on Facebook. I know there's a free launch of the website going on and, and stay tuned for information about the Democracy Convention coming up August 2nd, as well as PIP's um, second uh, progressive conference coming up later in August. I think it's August 8th. That's right. I, 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 I thought it was in May, but you're right. Thank you for that correction. Uh, no, you're they're, fine. They're, they're doing it during the hip, uh, the hip uh, festival out in Seattle. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so my bad. So thank you for catching that. But y'all should come to both and or either one, right? If you and then we can, and so I also got a message. I talked to you before about my, my, my buddy, founder of Media Revolt Podcast Revolution, Michael Salomon. I got a message with him about how we can, he, we can make uh, uh, some of these things a little bit more interactive for folks who can't, you know, afford to travel, other ways to do things. So I think he's actually going to message you. <laughs> so he's reaching up with you. Here, I mean, yeah, I can so. hope either Michael or, and or you and or Benjamin, somebody from your group. I'm definitely trying to make it to one or both. Definitely trying to work in Minneapolis because we already know uh, it looks like uh, Truth Against the Machine is going to be there. Okay. It looks like Free Speech TV may be doing some nice. live broadcasting. Okay. So there, this is going to be a hot place, right? So you should come to both. Uh, but one of your group got to be in Minneapolis. Got to be in Minneapolis. Well, you know, it's, 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 it's Minnesota's home to Prince, one of my favorite places to be. Uh, one of my favorite musicians. So definitely, David, thank you so much for, for taking the time tonight. I greatly appreciate you. Always a blast. And let's talk about me coming on with you next time. You got so, it. So this has been The Way From Noah. Thank you guys for rocking me late night. To everyone who's watching brand new from Pit, Periscope, everywhere else, thank you. And uh, we'll be back next week. All right, peace. <laughs>